So I'm wondering, how many of you have uh, seen the movie The Martian? The Mar- All right, several hands, okay. We just saw that this weekend, I mean this weekend, this uh, this past month uh, when my son was home. He wanted us to see it, so we did. It's a really good movie. I enjoyed it. Um, the reason he wanted me to see it is because he was giving me this book for Christmas, The Martian by Andy Weir, and it is as good as the movie. They're both very good. I recommend them highly. And what they are is kind of a modern-day Robinson Crusoe set on Mars instead of some desert island. But... But I have to say, I like Desert Island movies, too. Um, how many of you have seen The Castaway? Tom Hanks, The Castaway? All right. So um, I actually, I, I, I love that movie. I really enjoyed watching it. And I, I saw this on sale, and I said, ooh, I should get that, and I'll watch it again. But I can't um, because because of the, the landing scene with the FedEx plane. Um, so I've decided I'm never, ever, ever going to deadhead in a FedEx plane. And... And as it is, every time I fly somewhere, I go to the dentist first. So um, I can't stand the thought of being a, a, a desert island person. But on the other hand, it also fascinates me. When I was a kid, we would watch however often it was on um, on the uh, the Disney Wonderful World of Disney. We would watch um, the Swiss Family Robinson. And uh, years later, when I went to Disneyland for the first time, I was delighted they had an attraction there, which was the Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse. And then a couple of, I don't know, 10 years ago, they renamed it Tarzan's Treehouse. And it's like, I can't believe that they did that. That's just, that's just terrible. Um, but, but there's this genre, kind of this, this, uh, way of thinking about the, the art and life and, and, uh, adventure and so forth, which is the desert island scenario. You know, we've, it, whether it's the Martian or the Castaway or Swiss Family Robinson or, or one of, one of my favorites, um, Gilligan's Island, um, <laughs> We have this idea that there are there is this scenario in which we would find ourselves lost in a desert island, um, and and unlike maybe uh, the Swiss Family Robinson or Gilligan's Island, particularly like Castaway or The Martian, where you're truly alone and there's nobody there with you. And as I think about these these things, I wonder to myself, how would your spirituality be different from what it is now if you were alone on a desert island? You know, what would your spirituality be like? There's a, there's a joke that uh, pastors tell uh, mainly to themselves, but I'll let you in on it. Um, there's a joke about a man who's lost on a desert island. And uh, after many years, he is, he is rescued, and he's giving a tour of his little island to explain how he was able to survive for so long by himself. And he's explaining kind of what, what he's done in order to, to get through the past several years. And he, he says, this hut right here, this hut is my house. I built that. And I live in that. And they say, okay, well, what's this hut over here? And he says, well, that's my church. And so, okay, that's, that's really neat. And then they say, well, what's that hut over there? He says, oh, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> so, so maybe in his case, his spirituality was a lot like, like many people's. He's a church shopper before he got on the island and he's a church shopper once he gets there. So I, you know, in some cases, maybe your spirituality wouldn't change, but it's a real question. How would your spirituality change if it was just you and God alone on a desert island for some period of years? You know, what would your prayer life be like? What would your fasting be like? Would you fast? Would you pray? Would you just figure, you know, God's right here. He's kind of right right next to me all the time, so I don't need to pray at all. You know, this is this is the, the sort of question that Jesus is asking us to to think about in our reading today. And 
I think for some people, you know, we're 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 in a we're in a discussion. The the conversation we're part of now is is drawn from the the longest sermon that Jesus preaches, his longest public address, the Sermon on the Mount. And we're picking it up kind of in the middle where Jesus is taught telling people how to be perfect. He's telling his audience what they need to do in order to be perfect the way their heavenly Father is perfect. And in here he talks about how we how we practice our piety and i think for us piety is is kind of a negative word you say somebody is very pious that kind of means sanctimonious so you kind of irritating and kind of oily and you don't really like them so so to us piety is a is a negative word but it doesn't have to be negative piety simply means how you practice your faith so uh, you know your faith is a matter for your head and your heart Piety is how is that actually worked out in your life? What does the piety you have do for your life? And Jesus is saying, how do you practice your piety? And I think for some of us, you know, you know, we we may not really know what our faith is, so we're we're still kind of trying to figure out what does that have to do with my life. I I don't know how to practice piety because I'm still trying to figure out my faith. And if you're in that position, Jesus actually kind of gives you a reason to think maybe you don't want to get. Uh, too too close to Christianity because he's saying that there's some things that Christianity teaches about piety that you may want to you may want to think about very carefully before you decide you're a Christian. But if you are a Christian, sometimes uh, at least in my own life, and my guess is for some of you, you've 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 kind of gone through periods of time, or maybe you're in a period of time where you are practicing your piety just because you have to, not because. You feel like, like there's any, any, any reason to do so except it's just obligation. You just have to do it. It's the way you were raised. You know, it's the way your mama taught you or whatever it is. You just do what you have to do because you have to do it. But it's not, it's not intrinsically rewarding. And if you're in that position, Jesus gives us a principle in today's lesson that helps us to understand how our piety can actually be rewarding to us and maybe helps us to eliminate something that has kept it from being rewarding. So, what I'd like to do is look at chapter 6, the, the section of chapter 6 of Matthew's um, Gospel. And if you brought your own Bible or if you're looking at the Pew Bibles, let me encourage you to look at the program instead because in the middle of this passage, Jesus kind of goes off on a tangent. You know, he looks at his disciples and says, let me talk to you about prayer for a minute. And what I want to do is kind of push that to one side. And in fact, that's actually the way that the bulletin is formatted. The Lord's Prayer, where Jesus teaches about prayer, is kind of pushed to one side because what I want to do is I want to look at the principle that Jesus teaches. And so the principle is in verse 1. Jesus tells his disciples, Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So that's the principle. And for us, we kind of go, Okay, Jesus, tell me more. But his original audience would have gone, What? What are you talking about? How else would you practice your piety? So Jesus immediately plunges into a series of examples. He says, let me give you some examples. How you practice your piety in the area of almsgiving and prayer and fasting. And if you look at the way that, the way that it's formatted in the program, you can see that, that there's a, a common way Jesus talks about this, each one of these types of piety. So he says, whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets that they may be praised by others. And then later on he says, whenever you pray, and then at the bottom, whenever you fast. So Jesus says, when you're doing this thing, 
And it's interesting, Jesus assumes you're going to be doing these things. Jesus assumes that your faith is not just in your head, that it actually works its way out in your life. You actually do practice your piety. And so he gives these examples. When you give alms, when you pray, when you fast. And then he says what not to do. He says, don't do it like the hypocrites. So don't sound a trumpet before you like the hypocrites do. Don't stand and pray in the synagogues and street corners like the hypocrites. Jesus says, don't do it like the hypocrites. And for us, a hypocrite is somebody who's deliberately trying to fool you. But Jesus is saying, the the actual word hypocrite here means actor. He's saying, don't play a part for an audience. He's He's saying, just don't do that. Don't, don't play the part. Now, we actually heard a passage last week where Paul, the, 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 uh, one of the early leaders in the church, he said, sometimes that's what you have to do. You have to put on the role you're doing. But Jesus is saying, don't put it on for others. You may not be motivated to do it. That's okay. In which case, just do it. But don't do it for show. Don't do it like a play actor who's expecting an audience to see him and reward him. So he says, don't do it like the hypocrites do. And then he says, truly I tell you, they have received their reward. And anytime Jesus says, truly I tell you, you know, you're supposed to highlight that and say, well, what does Jesus tell me truly? But when he says it three times in one passage, we really need to take it seriously. Jesus says, they have received their reward. Truly I tell you, three times, that they have gotten what they wanted. They they put on a role, they played a part, the audience applauded, they got what they wanted. They have received their reward. But then Jesus says what we are to do. He says he, to, to those of us who are his disciples, he says, when you give alms, do not left your, let your right, left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, in some sense, this is impossible. If, if you give alms, it's a, it's a transaction between two people. Of course, there's going to be somebody else who knows what you're doing, the person who's receiving the alms. But Jesus says as much as possible, to the greatest extent possible, Simply do it, but not for show. He says, don't let even your left hand know you're doing it. So he says that. He says that the same thing when you're praying. He says, don't pray in public, but go into your room and shut the door. Now, the point here is not that you can never pray in public. What it is is don't pray in public for an audience. Don't pray in public so that you may be seen by an audience. And similarly, he's saying don't fast. He's not saying don't fast. He's saying don't fast for an audience. So Jesus gives these three different examples of how we can practice our piety. And he says, he says, in each case, what the hypocrites do, he says, he says that they have received their reward. What we should do instead, which is to do the same thing, except not for the audience. And then he says, our father who is in secret or our father he says, our Father who is in secret and our Father who sees in secret will reward you. In Jesus' culture, the reason that people did things, the reason people did things in public was because it was an honor culture. Um, anthropologists talk about honor cultures versus virtue cultures. In a virtue culture, you do things because they because you're just supposed to do good things. In an honor culture, you do things so that people can see what you've done. And we don't know how how, how deep that percolated into society, but judging from uh, ancient histories and inscriptions written on on walls and things like that, it was very much a part of that culture. People did good things so that people would praise them. 
you would sponsor some event in your city so that people would go and they'd get the free food or whatever, and they'd say, isn't Flavius Maximus a great guy? And that was really the way the, the world worked. And Jesus said, go ahead and do the good thing, just don't make it, a, make it for people to praise you. So we know that they did this. We don't know how deeply it percolated into society because Jesus actually changed the world by telling us to behave this way. But we do know it happens. You know, we, you know, turn on the TV this afternoon, watch, watch the sports. It'll say, this broadcast is made, you know, is brought to you by Acme Brewing Company or something like that. Or you go to a play and in the back, you know, flip through the back and in the back there's the ads. You know, you know, Acme Insurance Company wants you to know that they support the arts. So we still do this, just not to the degree that they did in Jesus' culture. But I think it's not just plays and TV performances. I think a lot of us do this. There's a word that I found the other day. Um, it was in the Boston Globe, and it's uh, the word is virtue signaling. And I want to read what it says. Um, where's my definition? Oh. So... This is a new word. It was invented apparently in 2004. And it was just uh, documented because it's become very popular in the internet age. It's, it's uh, virtue signaling. And it's this newly prominent phrase sums up actions, mostly online, that send the message, I'm a good person. Though they might not be accompanied by doing anything good at all. Since the only thing people seem to like more than virtue signaling is judging other people, this term has caught on like, well, the ice bucket challenge. Do you remember the ice bucket challenge? That was actually a great idea, a great way to raise money and awareness for Lou Gehrig's disease. But what a lot of people did is instead of participating in the ice bucket challenge or donating money to, to the foundation, they just clicked like on their Facebook page. Oh, that's a fun video, like. So they're virtue signaling. They're saying, I approve this message. I am a good person. I like the thought that someday... Lou Gehrig's disease will be cured. But they didn't actually do anything about it. And that's what virtue signaling is. Virtue signaling is when you flash your gang signs. It's when you, you show people what tribe you belong to, that you're the good side as opposed to the bad side. And we see this all the time, particularly those of us who are on Facebook or, or Instagram or uh, Twitter, one of the social medias. Um, the next picture. So here's, here's, um, there's a small print, but the, the one on the, uh, let's see. I have to look this way. So the one on the left is the, the Democrats, and um, it's talking about President Obama and uh, gun control. And down at the bottom it says, you can click on the little thumb, and it's, you like this thing. And apparently at this point, 28,000 people like it. The one on the right is the Republicans, and they're talking about how they repealed Obamacare. They didn't actually repeal Obamacare. They just passed a, a bill, which they know won't go any further. But they are virtue signaling they're saying we're on the side of everybody who's opposed to Obamacare. So whether it's gun control or Obamacare, everybody does this. Everybody does this online, at least, and I think everybody does it everywhere else. I get a lot of emails people send me. You know, some of you are old school, and you, you do the email where it sends, you know, at the bottom it says, pass this on if you believe in Jesus, or pass this on if you believe in right-thinking good things, or or whatever. And so people forward it to everybody in their address book. Um, some of us are so old school, we don't have, we don't have email even, and all we've got is a bumper sticker. But we do this. We flash our gang signs. We want people to know we're good people. That we believe the right things. And it really doesn't matter 
what our piety is. What is our practice? All we want people to know is where's our head at? And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't simply flash your signs. Don't, don't virtue signal. He says, go ahead and do something. If you care about gun control, then by all means do something about gun control. If you care about Obamacare and you, you want to see it repealed, by all means do something about it. But don't simply click like at the bottom of the Facebook page and think you've done something. Jesus, Jesus is very concerned that people do good. Um, he talks, the very first thing he mentions here is almsgiving. And he says, when you give alms, he's part of the, the tradition that he's part of the, from the beginning of the Bible to the end. We see the concern for the poor all through the Bible. We heard in, in Deuteronomy, uh, God tells the people of God, do not be stingy. Do not be grudging. That give generously with an open heart to the poor. Jesus is all about doing good. What he's saying here is don't virtue signal. Don't tell people how good you are. Instead, actually go out and do good. So, whether it's the ALS challenge or Cecil the Lion, whether it's the Democrats or the Republicans, whatever it is, Jesus is saying, go ahead and do good, but don't virtue signal about it. And because because he's talking about these three, I can't I can't close without saying, you know, he also says to give alms and to fast. And I think a lot of us, if you asked us how do we how do we practice our piety, those are probably not the first ones that would come out of most of our mouths. Most of us think about prayer and other things like like that, prayer, reading the Bible. Jesus is talking about some very intrusive, very um, uh, difficult things to do. And I think one of the reasons people don't do them is because they aren't rewarded for them. And Jesus is promising in each case. Jesus is promising when you pray, you'll be rewarded. Not just that your prayer will be answered. Think about that. You know, how many of us pray because we want our prayer to be answered? Jesus says our prayers will be rewarded. The same way our fasting and our almsgiving is rewarded. Jesus is saying God wants to be in a relationship with us. And he will reward us. He will give us a reward that only he can give. If we do it because we want to be in that kind of relationship with God and not because we want people to see us play a part. Let's pray. Loving God, we give you thanks for uh, Jesus and the, the teaching where he reminds us that it's not simply enough to have our head in the right place, to be on the right team, but to actually participate, to be part of the work of doing good. And so he reminds us that just as you are invisible, you do not trumpet everything you do, so should we be like you. We should be perfect and do our good, not to be seen by others, but because we want to do good. So Lord, we pray you would help us, help us to participate in the works that we, we think are important, but help us to do it because of an audience that consists simply of you. We pray it through Christ our Lord. Amen.